One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about Ocean's 8 and the second series of Queer Eye. I've also listened to the Snail Mail album Lush for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We're recording this on a Monday and I'm feeling a little bit weary from a very fun weekend. And on Friday night, I went to see... Taylor Swift at Wembley Stadium which was really exciting I saw Taylor Swift a few weeks ago at Radio 1's um, Biggest Weekend in Swansea Mm. and Camilla Cabello actually who's her support act alongside Charlie XCX and I found both those performances really really fun and professional and that was that and I was like okay yeah that'll be like a good slick gig when I go see that in June and then I went to the Taylor Swift show like kind of skeptical like yeah it'll be fun like I'm not the world's most uncomplicated adoring Taylor Swift fan but I'm sure it'll be fun and then was like absolutely blown away it was so good. (laughs) What made it particularly special? I mean it's difficult isn't it because like I really like a lot of Taylor Swift's old songs like Mm. really like old country basic bitch stuff and it's not really got much of that it is like the reputation album which isn't my favorite album so i think that's why i was a bit skeptical but they like those songs are big stadium songs quite a few of them and like in that environment they really really work even like look what you made me do which i don't wouldn't really like put on just to listen to it felt really fun and dramatic and kind of hammy like Mm. kind of over the top theatrical on stage um we had really good seats as well which obviously helps so she starts with Ready For It, which I think is a, like a banger anyway, that like, dun, dun, dun. it's like a really good opening. And so she really builds the expectation with that. And then she does, I did something bad, which I, I am a sucker for. I really like yeah, that Yeah, I know you really like that song. Yeah. And the gunshots in it, I always find really fun. And when the gunshots started, all these like massive fireworks started going off, like in the sky over the stadium. Oh, wow. And like, they, she has these amazing pyrotechnics where you can actually hit, feel the heat of the fire, like these fireballs that explode on stage. And she's just really leaning into it and it's like giving a really theatrical camp performance where she's like arching her eyebrows loads and like giving all these kind of little smirks and like really the stage is enormous and she really uses the stage and it's like going, you know, on all these like little catwalks and stuff. And she like flew directly over our heads, like suspended in a sort of weird cage at one point. And she does a really good job of like integrating little flecks of her old material. Like she does like a few medleys of where she, she'll like put we're never getting back together in with this is why we can't have nice things like she'll kind of weave them in 
And there was an amazing moment where there was a standing ovation right in the middle of a song, which was a kind of mix of New Year's Day, which is the most kind of country old Taylor Mm. Swift song on the new record with Long Live, which is like a sort of Speak Now era track that I think is very much considered to be like an ode to her fans. And again, like works kind of on this piano ballady way. And in the middle of that, there was a standing ovation for like three solid minutes and she was like crying. And apparently that hasn't happened on the tour before. And it didn't happen the next night either. So that was like a really kind of like cool, organic moment. There were just things like that where I was like, oh, wow, this is actually like really good. And there were so many kids everywhere. It was so sweet. And they were like literally having the time of their life, like screaming. We were behind these three, like genuinely like nine years old girls and they were having so much fun. So yeah, it was just, I just couldn't argue with any of it. You know, she's just got really good melodies at the end of the day. She's got really good melodies and a big enough team to put on an incredible show oh yeah it must have been so expensive i can't even contemplate it but the tickets were really expensive so you know it must be making loads of money Mm. when you see a stadium that huge and you think everyone's probably paid a hundred quid a pop to be here at least that's like crazy money yeah absolutely Mm. um And given that Taylor Swift is one of the few people left who I think is probably still making serious money from her albums. Mm. Yeah, she's not exactly losing money on this issue. She's doing Um, well. Niall Horan came out. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the next night they had Robbie, which is obviously... um, There were a couple of things I was jealous about. One was that they got Robbie Williams instead of Niall Horan on the the second (laughs) night. And one was that she's got a special like set uh, space in her set list for a a surprise throwback song. And so she's done like Red, Wildest Dreams, Mean, like acoustic renditions of all the... Like Our Song, all these like classic Taylor Swift songs in that spot. And when it was our turn for that slot, she did So It Goes from Reputation, the only song on Reputation she doesn't normally sing. She was like, I'm going to play a song I've never played live before as though it was a massive treat. And then it was like an obscure album track from Reputation that nobody likes. I was like, oh, I could have had Red. Uh, But apart from those two minor disappointments, it was great. Oh, it sounds like a really good gig. Yeah, it was really fun. So we'll move on from one glamorous snake to eight others <laughs> great sec. oceans eight is what we're talking about next so for those of you who don't know oceans eight is a heist movie starring sandra bullock as debbie ocean the sister of danny ocean which is the character played by george clooney in steven soderbergh's oceans trilogy which was released in the noughties in this spin-off bullock is joined by a crew played by rihanna kate blanchett mindy carling sarah paulson aquafina and helena bonham carter for a daring jewel theft at the Met Ball. And the premise is essentially that Debbie wants to steal a really expensive necklace from the Met Ball. And the way they're going to get the necklace out of its Cartier vaults and into the Met Ball is by placing it on the neck of Anne Hathaway, who plays... Some people are are saying it's kind of like a dressed-up version, an exaggerated version of her own kind of, like, star persona. Mm. But she's basically a kind of bratty, uh, insecure, sexy Hollywood star. Um, Who's the chair of the Met Ball. Yeah. uh, Yeah, so it all slots together in the way that you are familiar with from the George Clooney, Brad Pitt, oceans films in Mm. that um they they plant helena bonham carter is actually 
a fashion designer who was sort of big in I love the joke which is like big in the 90s lots of Edwardian collars mm, it's like yeah. yeah who's that about mm. um uh, so she's a fashion designer who's kind of down on her luck and they recruit her and get Anne Hathaway to choose her to dress her for the Met Ball she requests the necklace and so that's the sort of setup that gets their goal out in the open mm-hmm, exactly and Anne Hathaway is essentially the mark I think in Ocean's language yeah, so it's obviously made a lot of headlines because it's a f- all female reboot of an all male series in a bit in the vein of the Ghostbusters film that there was a couple of years ago, and it obviously plays with the idea of like this is going to be a fun kind of fashion adjacent, glamorous, female friendly version of an Ocean's Eight movie. And I actually think, although you could probably critique that for not being as like gritty or masculine as it's. Uh, male counterpoints uh, I really like that they went with the fashion angle I really like that they went for something kind of glitzy and fun because what's the point of an oceans film if it's not fun right absolutely yeah and I also think it's not at all a stretch like it it fits in with the plot because there's a bit early on where Sandra Bullock's character says you know this is one occasion when we're happy to blend in not stand out so they're mm. sort of riffing on the fact that this is a world where women are expected to be and it's not going to be a surprise that you know their crew includes lots of women of color and they play on the fact that you know they are more likely to be the waitresses at the event than they are the attendees to their advantage so Mm -hmm. it's sort of I don't know I feel like it works with the plot it isn't it isn't like a kind of George Clooney script dropped into a female world Mm. yeah totally and I think Anne Hathaway is like absolutely amazing in this movie like mm-hmm. she kind of drips with like sexuality and she's all these like you know big eyes and her boobs are like on a plate basically the whole duration of the film and she looks incredible and she's just it's just a very comic performance it's like just the right amount of exaggerated but there's also like more going on behind the eyes than you'd necessarily you know think straight off the bat and I just thought she was, her comic timing was so good. You know, she really kind of skewered that kind of actress just so accurately. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, there's a really great scene where Helena Bonham Carter is like fitting an early version of the dress on her and Anne Hathaway starts having a complete freak out because she's wearing a kind of safety pin mock-up of the necklace and she starts to freak out that it's going to look terrible. And the resulting dialogue where Helen of Bottom Carter's like you have the most famous neck in the world look at it look <laughs> your at neck it. is the most perfect neck that's ever existed and Anne Hathaway does have a great neck and her, her kind of like hyperventilating nausea just slowly turns into sort of like self-confidence and like yeah I do have the nicest neck in the world and it's, <laughs> it's, she, she does it so well yeah I thought that was a really great moment and it is a, a great performance mm. um in fact the whole film I think is full of great performance Rihanna is absolutely great in it mm. uh, as this like stoner hacker called Nineball mm. who is really laid back apart from when she's not and that's really really effective and obviously it's all super unrealistic but there are some some comic moments like when she essentially catfishes a dude who works at a security company with nice pictures of dogs mm. um oh, yeah, that's that. a funny scene I like that scene a lot that was really good so you know it's I feel like they've they've used tropes that you recognize from the original oceans well they're not even the original are they the 
George Clooney Oceans movies are a remake of a Rat Pack mm, Oceans mm. Eleven movie. But anyway, they use tropes that you recognise from the Steven Soderbergh films, but within them do things that still make you laugh. Yeah. I, one thing that's interesting is that there's been a lot of talk about kind of glamorous fashion adjacent scheming women lately because there was a story in um, Vanity Fair and then the cut at New York Magazine about uh, this woman called Anna Delvey who mm. has kind of like infiltrated New York socialites and scammed them. And there was also the story about um, the the woman who committed some or was accused of committing fraud against grace coddington at vogue she was like a 25 year old assistant at vogue who like spent loads of grace coddington's money supposedly without her realizing yeah i just feel like there's been a few stories like that and then i love those stories i'll like read them to death there's something that's so kind of like glamorous and high risk about it like there's an amazing scene in the opening of the movie where um, Sandra Bullock b- breaks into a really expensive hotel and just stays there without paying. And that's basically what Anna Delvey was accused of in these articles. And I think there's something so like ballsy about that. That's just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go to the most expensive hotel and like never pay. And it's going to be mm. amazing. And I'm going to have a bubble, but she's going to be so luxurious. And I love that. But for me, there was, there's something more thrilling in these stories of like normal people who like, almost never quite pull off the thing that they're trying to pull off than there was in this film which to me ran a little bit too smoothly like there was never any high risk really everything went per spoiler alert everything goes perfectly you know it's literally like rolex clockwork the whole way through and even at the end like again spoiler alert they're like oh we actually did something even bigger than you than you thought we'd done and I don't know. I just never, it never felt like there was any genuine risk. Everything, every single part, every person in that, in that gang, like did their bit perfectly and nobody kind of fucked up. And like, even with the kind of like, again, spoiler alert, there's like an Anne Hathaway revelation that her character is more than she seems like every single, like it could never have gone wrong essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And that kind of is a bit, it's, it's a shame for me. I would have liked to have seen something more, scary happen or just like something more silly happen like it just felt a bit too pristine and clean for me in points yeah because I feel that is something that the uh male dominated oceans films did have I they always seem to I don't really remember the second one very much at all but the first and third ones I remember they both had like a hitch at some point in the plot where it was like oh this is something we hadn't planned for and mm-hmm. I think is in the first one, isn't it that they um they've set up like fake CCTV footage, and the vault is supposed to look exactly like the vault that they're robbing, but they don't realise that they've slightly changed the floor or something. So they since they did their recons, actually, although they get away with it, the big casino boss is able to immediately realise what's happened and like send people after them or something. Mm. Um, there's always like a little bit of a snag. But and in this one, there is sort of a snag in that they realise late on that they you need a special magnet to undo this necklace. But it's fine because Rihanna's sister makes magic magnets and mm. just drops one off. And then that's really the last you hear of that as a problem. Yeah. So yeah, it is a I mean, they do say repeatedly that like Sandra Bullock's pr- uh, character has been in prison for five years and all she's done is rehearse this scam in her mind over and over and over again. But yeah, you're right for for the viewer, it would have been nice if there'd been a little bit more genuine peril. 
Mm, definitely. And just something a bit messier, something a bit more rebellious, something a bit like that. That's where the thrill of that stuff lies for me. So, mm. you know, more fun scenes where Sandra Bullock breaks into a hotel. Like, yes, love that. Yeah. There's a couple of things that like reflect. I, I enjoyed it very much in the cinema, but sort of reflecting on it afterwards that I am less sure about. The first is that, as you say, there is this sort of wheels within wheels idea to the plot that the whole necklace thing big spoilers now turns out to be a diversion and that actually whilst everyone was fussing about Anne Hathaway's neck Mm. um the the guy who plays the kind of contortionist acrobat from the original Oceans films has a little cameo where he just pops up and helps them steal all of the jewels in the actual costume exhibit Mm. and I was a little bit like why did you make a female dominated heist movie if you're just gonna like bring in a man yeah to save the day at the end why couldn't that have just been an original character of a woman who does that Mm, mm. um and then the other thing was and this I've seen like talked about a lot on the internet but I've not yet read like the definitive piece about this and I would like to so if you've read or written something good send it my way and Mm. this is about the relationship between Sandra Bullock's character and Kate Blanchett's character because they are like the George Clooney Brad Pitt they are the the friendship that the whole thing is built upon long-time partners and Basically, there are so many hints in this that they are or were a couple. Yeah. I, and I it's never quite confirmed. I wondered, it, there's also a line where Sarah Paulson says, like, what did you see in this guy about this kind of like Sandra Bullock love interest? And Sandra, Sandra Bullock's character is like, oh, well, it was before I met you. And I'm like, oh, so as in before you got with Sarah Paulson's character. But then it's like never, it's never, you never get any more than that. So it's kind yeah. of like hinted at, but never fully pursued. And with the Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock thing, I felt it was more of a flirtation than a, than an ex situation. But again, they never properly explore. It's kind of like, why hint at it if you're never going to give us just like a few lines of dialogue even to fully explore it it doesn't need to be like a huge plot line yeah but I do feel like I see a lot of movies with gay women characters in or like suggested gay women characters that never but never you never see or hear any actual like lesbian conversation or kissing or like anything (laughs) and like a bit like the Thor movies which in Tessa Thompson have a a supposedly bisexual character but we never actually get any (laughs) proper (laughs) confirmation of that in the script it's just like a kind of almost like fan teasing kind of thing yeah I definitely think it is and because I I just cannot believe that it is not deliberate that Kate Blanchett's character throughout is you know she's dressed in a very sort of masculine way she wears a series of awesome jackets um Mm. you know she's kind of like a an icon of like a certain sort of butch style and yeah there are all these hints where like they're eating it off each other's plates and like referring to their history together I think there's another time as well when Sandra Bullock is talking about like a bad relationship with a manager saying oh yeah me and Lou were going through a rough patch which Mm. could mean in our professional partnership as Mm. criminals or like or as our personal relationship as lovers yeah Um, you know there's just a lot of double meaning there and I'm like why can't they just be a thing? I want to mm. see that. Yeah. Yeah. Not to give anything away about this TV show, but if you are looking for a kind of women focused, thrillery, crimey drama with a with a bit more of a wink and a nod in that area, I would really recommend Killing Eve. I'm really looking forward to this. Do we actually mm-hmm. know when that's on TV yet, by the way? Autumn. Quote autumn. Ah, 
God, I hate the BBC sometimes. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So now we're going to talk about Queer Eye, which is the Netflix reboot of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which was a reality TV show that originally aired on the Bravo network from 2003. In this version, a new Fab Five work with subjects in and around Atlanta, Georgia to improve their lives and their style. And they're now on their second series. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I don't know which episodes you've watched. So I've watched the first four, I think. Okay, cool. I knew that there were two, because Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, you know, obviously that's not really what it's called anymore, but that that original title suggests that, you know, five queer men, one straight cis guy. And Mm -hmm. I knew there were a couple of episodes that kind of rebelled against that idea this season. So I watched those two, which was the first episode, which um, was one where they made over a woman um mm. mama tammy in the town of gay <laughs> and also i watched i skipped ahead a few episodes and watched one um where they make over this guy called skylar who's a trans man i think a straight trans man but f- someone who falls under the umbrella of queer in a way that most of the time the men on this show don't so yeah that was that was really interesting um because we haven't seen that kind of format break um from queer eye before they did do a gay man last yeah they did a kind of i'm i'm a straight passing gay guy kind of one didn't they but i and i want to kind of come out more that's true but yeah that that was a kind of slight that was a a much closer to the original format example yeah so i really Um, i really really enjoyed the two episodes that um that I've seen and there's something sometimes a bit oh, oh like too much about Queer Eye and I don't mean that in terms of a like 
uh, flamboyance way. I just mean like it's so earnest and everyone's so mm-hmm. emotional about their transformation and like it's so um, you know you, it's it's very what I would think of as like hyper American in that way. And sometimes you can feel like oh are they faking this? Is this real? Like how much are these are these characters both in terms of the the makeovers people doing the makeover and the people receiving the makeover like how how real can they be like how how emotional can you feel and how many transformations can you as a person have over over the course of an 11 episode (laughs) series you know um but I actually felt like in the ones I was watching everyone was being really genuine and like even though it was very like high octane (laughs) it kind of made sense to me that it was yeah that's kind of how I feel as well that it is a lot like the first episode that you mentioned where they make over Tammy who is very religious and she lives in this really small town in Georgia it's called gay uh which I think is obviously where they started when they Mm. were researching that episode but you know the whole narrative of the episode is about the relationship between the church and queer people Mm. because her son is gay and he's sort of stopped going to church with her because he feels judged by other members of the congregation and there are a couple of members of the Fab Five who've had experiences with that as well. And and they're almost so, all religious as well, which is interesting yeah. to me. Because I think the the um, religious landscape of the UK and the US are quite different. And like mm-hmm. most people I meet in the UK are not religious <laughs> at all. Uh, even, or at least not in a like super active yeah, way. Even, yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that actually especially when like people especially like the queer people I know don't tend to be particularly religious and it was interesting for me that in the that almost everyone featured in the show either on the panel or as as a as a subject were did have some sort of relationship with with Christianity in some form yeah which is is really interesting and uh, I know what you mean about maybe thinking it was forced like there's a moment near the beginning where Bobby, who grew up very religious and then felt very rejected by that when he came out and so on, um, he refuses to go in the church mm. because he just doesn't feel comfortable with it. And I was a bit like, oh, come on. Yeah, that to me felt like, a bit like the producers, even if it's not staged, it felt like the producers maybe went, hey, Bobby, like maybe don't feel that you have to go in the church. Like yeah. it just felt a bit overproduced to me that moment. And maybe that's unfair. Maybe that maybe that's not how it actually came about. That's just how it felt watching it. Yeah, but I think maybe seeing how he was the rest of the episode, I feel like it was consistent. Um and so on. But yeah, there are just the odd moments like that when you're like, really? But that's to be honest for me, just testament to how good this show is, because I don't know if you've watched much of the original Queer Eye for the straight guy no um that was all like that it was all super overproduced and set up and you could just see the strings being pulled as they were being pulled pulled constantly yeah um whereas the fact that they've actually managed to make this remake into a sort of organic feeling narrative is I think testament to how good it is and yeah you just get the odd jarring note to remind you that actually no this is essentially a reality tv program and yeah pretty much everything you're seeing on screen is being designed there to elicit emotional reactions from Mm, you totally but there are some emotional bits that really do feel so genuine to me like obviously I love Jonathan so much and he's so good in in the episodes that I saw as always like really connects I think almost the most with the with the subjects like with mama tammy he's like so 
I don't know, they just seem to have like a vibe straight away. They really connect and he's so charismatic and I love watching him kind of tease um, different parts of people's personalities out because he kind of throws himself at people and then they they respond and you get to see quite a lot of them in their response. But I also, there was a couple of moments where Anthony was just so emotional. <laughs> yes, and when Anthony he just cries, was flat out crying. you're like, you're a baby. You're like a giant. There's something so vulnerable about you. And you're like, so kind of like handsome and like calm and like, I don't know, just he's a bit of a wall sometimes. He's very charismatic, but like, and then suddenly you just get all this emotion coming out of nowhere. And you could just tell that he would genuinely rather not be crying in that moment because mm-hmm. he is, you know, I think would prefer to be kind of like stoic, silent, handsome type. But he can't help it. He's like fully crying. I loved that moment where basically in the first episode, Mama Tammy's giving like a speech about something. And he's like, before she's even finished saying what she's trying to say, he's just like fully sobbing in the back. Everyone else is like nodding sincerely and he's just sobbing in the back. <laughs> Yeah, um, it is, I I mean, barely an episode goes past where I don't tear up. Like, Mm, it is really, really good at, like, making you feel stuff. Yeah. It's beautiful like that. Did you watch Um, the one with Skylar? I haven't seen that one yet. I think that's the next one. It's really good. Chronologically. It's really, really good. And they actually, they let Tan be this kind of voice of, like, the the ignorant person Mm. who doesn't know what trans identity really is or how it works and... So he kind of fucks up when he's talking to Skylar a couple of like he doesn't he, he doesn't really mess up. But he says to Skylar, like, how would you feel if I misgendered you? Which seems like a very basic question to those of us who know anything yeah. about like, how about don't do that? You know, <laughs> um, but it, it's really interesting. And, you know, there's actually some really incredible footage of Skylar when he has. So the the premise of the episode is that Skylar's six week out, six weeks out of his top surgery and is about to have like a big party in order to celebrate um, the fact that his local queer community helped him raise the money for him to have his top surgery in the Mm. first place. So you actually see the footage of Skylar when he's waking up post post top surgery and it's really emotional. Um, And it's just amazing because, you know, it's just, I mean, I can imagine that like, I know that there's a problem sometimes with trans narratives, whereas like cis people onlookers, it like it's easy to become obsessed like be really like kind of weirdly voyeuristically interested in the transition rather than in like the whole human being and their like life post transition and stuff and you know there is a lot of discussion of the specifics of transitioning and like how you know Skylar never has never been taught how to shave because he doesn't have a dad who like showed him growing up how to shave because his Mm. experience was so different but I think it was really a really cool episode, really well done. And I think like, I also feel like when we talk about trans narratives a lot in the media, I feel like there's a lot of focus on trans women. And I actually don't see that much about Definitely, trans men yeah. in in the media. And I don't know why that is. And I'm not going to like speculate on why either, because it's so complicated. Um, I think it's, do you remember we had that workshop at the New Statesman yeah. um, with the All About Trans? So one of the people I spoke to then was a trans man. And he said that his own feeling about it is that it's just a numbers thing that um, trans men are outnumbered like 10 to 1. That's really interesting. Um, so obviously that's not the whole story, but that was part one thing of it. that he, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I, I found it, um, yeah, really interesting to see just the specifics of how life was different for Skylar. Like just things like trying to get, he was trying to get his his gender officially recognized on his ID right. and stuff. And like, um, yeah, 
really and they were they're really good they're really good and interesting and like Skylar's kind of got like a a, yo- a much younger man's like decor and style and like there are mm. queer pride flags and artwork everywhere and it looks a bit like a student you know like if you like a student flat which is like um very woke and very proud but also like the sofa's a bit crap and like <laughs> and it yeah. was like that not necessarily comfortable yeah they came in and they were like oh um being queer is a pillar of your identity it doesn't have to be your whole identity and like change his house like loads and make it look way more grown up and but they like keep key parts of like so instead of having posters all over the wall they like frame some of the posters and artwork and it just like make like those tiny little tweaks and you're like oh this made such a difference to his home and everything it's just really good i'm like spoiling the episode for you now but there's more there's more delights in there there's like a celebrity cameo and all sorts but it's really oh, that sounds really, really good. good yeah well I, I i wrote this piece um when the first series of queer eye came out um because it is interesting to go back and watch the original series the queer eye from mm. uh, queer eye for the straight guy from 2003 mm. because although it is like super hammy and set up and artificial in lots of ways the thing that the original fab five and lots of other people have said since was that it wasn't like targeted at the queer community mm. in any way mm. it was meant to be a, a mainstream entertainment show and it just happened to have a cast of all gay mm. men and They've had so many letters and messages and stuff from people since who are like, well, where I lived in really rural America, there was really no one I could, when I was coming out, I could say to my family like, well, look, I'm like these Mm -hmm. together with it well Mm -hmm. off gay people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be fine. And you gave me that. I was able to point to you and say like, I'm gay like they're gay. So I'm kind of hopeful that this iteration of Queer Eye will will do that for a new generation. Definitely. Definitely. That's why that moment was so emotional where Tammy was saying, like, you're changing the world, you're making it better for like other human beings who are like you. And that's just such an emotional thing for those for those people to realise, which is yeah, amazing. It's just a really it's it was I, I love it. Even though that, you know, it's not it's it is, you know, reality TV and therefore it is produced and stuff. I just really like it. Mm-hmm. Same so last week i recommended that caroline listen to an album called lush um which is by snail mail which is the name of a solo project from Lindsay jordan who is a 19 year old from baltimore who started making music when she was very young and this is her first kind of official big label like she's signed to matador now debut full-length record and yeah caroline what did you make of it i was completely bewitched by it and i spent the whole time listening to it like wishing it existed when i was 16 that this kind of like amazing beautiful in places quite heavy indie music just Mm. like fronted by a young woman and all filtered Mm. through the experiences of young for young women I was like this is incredible I like I mean as much as I liked editors back when I was 17 I really wish (laughs) this had existed as well um yeah yeah I think it's great and I was also really interested to read a bit about her sort of background because it does seem like she did have that classic like shoot shooting from nothing to everything like star story Mm. um I read a really interesting interview with her in noisy where it was like, you know, she was sort of playing at local churches and really into classical guitar. And then suddenly she had 15 different offers from labels 
you know, and she was barely 16 and all of this. Totally. It's very much that like rags to riches, well not rags, but like, you know, complete obscurity yeah. to total music fame. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, she's still kind of, she's not like super famous in like, in terms of most people probably haven't heard of her, but if you are interested in, very interested in music and very and interested in like alternative music, especially then there's no way that you won't know about her at this point. And um, yeah, I find, I think it's a really good summer record as well. There's something really kind of like lazy and hot mm. about the the whole record. And I think she does that kind of like summer boredom thing that you have when you're, when you're yeah. a, a kid on school holidays and like this whole summer stretches out before you for like a, and it feels like forever and also really short at the same time. And all you all you do all summer is like have crushes and like, you know, think about your crushes and try and get on with the rest of your life. But without really any structure to your day, that's the feeling that it really captures for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I find it very good with this heat wave that we're experiencing right now. It really mm. works nicely. And also it's a good... I have like a whole subsection of albums that I think are really good for train journeys because I take a lot of trains and this definitely went straight in there because it gives it does have that feeling of like momentum and progress and you're going somewhere and you're mm. not stuck in the same mm. situation and and so on which is what I want for a train journey because I'm a sucker for a like easy emotional totally. look from music but totally. yeah I think it's great and as you say, I think she she isn't super famous yet. You know, she's not even like Sigrid level famous yet. Yeah. But she has been tipped by like every publication going as one to watch. And yeah, and she's done so many interviews around this album. Like the promo she's done for it has been crazy. And she's in like every kind of music magazine but going basically. Yeah, I there are two tracks on it in particular that I think are just like perfect songs. Um, and that's Heatwave mm -hmm. and Pristine. Yes, both my favorites. And yeah. I, I think yeah they're just so good and I think those are the singles from they the are, record yeah. so if you're thinking about whether or not to buy it or give it a listen like go check out Heatwave and Pristine because they'll convince you like they're amazing kind of perfect three minute very very tightly structured um little songs that are just yeah amazing so what do you think we're going to do next week Caroline? So I just watched this weekend a stand-up comedy special on Netflix that I really want you to watch so that we can talk about it okay great I don't often watch random stand-up comedy specials on Netflix it's not really my go-to but I'd seen so many like awesome women writers that I follow on Twitter and stuff talking about this that I felt I had to give it a go and it is Hard Knock Wife by Ali Wong okay Hard Knock Wife actually her second I've now learned her second Netflix comedy special her first one which was called Baby Cobra was recorded uh I think yeah it was recorded September 2016 when she was seven months pregnant with her first child and then this her second one was recorded a year later when she was seven months pregnant with her second child so she's super pregnant in it and she's talking a lot about motherhood and the realities of birth and the stuff oh, no God. one tells you about when you're a parent but she's also um, I've gone back and watched some of her older stand-up routines on YouTube and stuff. She's still doing her like good old material about like sex and relationships and being an Asian American woman and all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, I even just like looking at her standing on the stage makes me feel <laughs> better about comedy as something I could be interested in because that's cool. 
she's like a small Asian woman with a massive pregnancy bump mm. <laughs> wearing a skin tight leopard skin dress. Oh my God. Okay. That sounds interesting. I look forward to checking it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.